this is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico, and as usual, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Sam. And today in this episode, we will be discussing The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. So The Lean Startup is one of the must-read books if you're an entrepreneur or if you are starting a company or you own a company or you work in a corporation and you want to do something innovative. And so it's basically a scientific approach to creating and managing startups. And so the concept, the Lean Startup concept, is largely based on the Lean manufacturing methodology, which was pioneered by Toyota in Japan and which was the main cause why Toyota and more generally Japan leaped ahead of all the other auto manufacturers like in the 70s and the 80s. And when I read the book, because the second time I read it, and now I read it after having read the work of Nassim Taleb, and it came to me that it is very clear that it is like the anti-fragile approach to a startup, to, yeah, to, to building a company, basically. I don't know if you agree, Sam? Yeah, definitely. Because Taleb basically says in his book, Anti-Fragile, that... The world is such a complex place that is, it's very difficult to theorize solutions for very, very complex problems that have very m- many different points, like very many different variables. And so what he suggests is uh, to do a lot of tinkering. And that's actually exactly what is being promoted in the Lean Startup book, where he treats everything that you do. So Eric Reese in a startup, he sees the startup as a one grand experiment and everything that you do, every iteration of your product is a new experiment. And is basically mm-hmm. uh, just following the, the theory of, of Taleb in a practical level for startups specifically. Yeah, yeah. And it's all about kind of failing and not being fragile and <laughs> exactly. sort of exactly. deliberately doing that to a point where you can do something useful where it's like the big companies can't really ever afford to fail or have things go wrong and they mm-hmm. have to like be much bigger but then they can't actually be sort of movable and adaptable and such exactly and so one of the frustrations from eric reese from his own experience is that too many startups begin with an idea for a product that they think people want and then they spend months or even years perfecting that product without ever showing it to the customers. And then after so many months or years, when they finally release a product, they get faced with the fact that nobody actually asked for that product and it's, that it's not what the customers want. And so all the effort that they put into it is completely wasted. And so mm-hmm. a startup that works in that way is very fragile, while a startup that on every, like as, as often as it can, checks uh, if the product um, is right for the customer, that would be then the anti-fragile approach to product development. Mm. Or, yeah, as in building new products because the first one wasn't right and just like failing and like killing it and starting again and just accepting that you're going to be wrong most of the time with all your ideas and to just keep on having ideas and feedback from people to kind of move fast and arrive at the, the optimal solutions. Yeah. And I found that this book speaks against many of the theories around, you know, the ultra successful entrepreneur, for example, Steve Jobs, he was lauded as like a visionary that knew what everyone wanted without them knowing it. And basically when he talked about the iPhone, he was like, you know, I want, I wanted to have this, 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 and that, and that was exactly right for a customer. And so I think that a lot of startups think in a similar way, think that they know what customers want. And Eric Ries from experience says that 
you're not like it's too complex what you need to get feedback from customers as soon as possible and he argues against an approach like steve jobs is yeah definitely it's a it's a hard one to think and i think well like steve jobs or like henry ford and stuff he's celebrated with the whole if i ask people what they want they're about a faster horse kind of thing they're not completely not taking feedback from people they are actually sort of seeing what are the things people are picking up on and Henry Ford was noticing that there's an opportunity in the market for something that was faster than a horse <laughs> and like the way to like build it and like scale it and such and same with Steve Jobs definitely sort of looking at what the people are trying to do and like what they're achieving and what are their problems so still talking to people and finding out where the trends are going and how to solve them just not necessarily taking their feedback on the exact feature for it. Mm. And so what were for you some, uh, some big takeaways? I mean, having sort of read it a, a few times already, but just not in like the last five years and just talking about lean startup the whole time, I kind of feel like I could have really knew it, but then it really does just excite you again, how the potential of talking to users all the freaking time and that you're, you're being an idiot when you're just building stuff that has been the last few months not analytically talking to users certainly talking to people kind of getting feedback and stuff but not really being like wait i need to talk to like 10 people a week about this different things and sort of really really having a proper system around it and having an engine of of feedback and growth really as opposed to like oh, yeah i think i know what people want now so i'm going to start working on these things so yeah really helped put me focus back on like validating my learning and these things and i really like the framework that they have for kanban because that's like the agile methodology of when you're um building things is sort of instead of just setting up like okay we're going to have six months where we're going to end up building this entire product and you kind of just you're more agile of like okay we're going to do two week sprints which okay make most companies do and you can kind of change what's coming up in the next sprint and adapt but you basically just have like, okay, what are the to-dos for this week? And then you're doing them and it's done and it gets ticked off. But it says you should have like a fourth column after that, which has been checked with users. So you should be making like different features or like different iterations of like the same feature. And then when it gets to the done column, you then have to have another column where you check with users and that validates it. And then if they don't like it, it then gets deleted from like before it gets released, released. Or if they do like it, you then go ahead and you double down on it or you add different things to it. But he also says you should only let so many things be in each section. And if it gets to the full, you can't, you can't go on to add more. So if you have too many in the yet to be validated and you, you shouldn't be building more things, you should just be validating before you do any more building, which is definitely not something that we've been doing. <laughs> and, and he does say like, it's a really hard system to initially implement. And I think, probably a bit of a case of do as I say and not as I do for like 99% of people that might ever tell you to go and do it. But if you do actually manage to force yourself into doing it, it's probably super valuable and does start to change the way that you plan things and that the engineering team works. If they know that that's part of it, they'll start building stuff that can be more testable and easier to kind of integrate into these systems rather than just trying to build features as quick as possible. They'll think a lot more about the analytics. So that was probably my biggest take home and I liked I like that. <laughs> customer feedback um, yeah. in, in the process, basically. And so uh, as far as customer feedback goes, do you ask them or do you watch them, if you get what I mean? Different levels of 
things depending on where you're at as such so i think you should be having like focus groups and certainly for us we should mm -hmm. just try and talk to people that we're around and like sit down with them and watch them use the app mm -hmm. and as you get further along we'll have some different sort of systems so you'll probably still have focus groups but maybe you'll also like measure at a bigger level so you've got like thousands of users you'll you'll test a few different versions of like the color of a button etc and see which one gets more people and like another test like 50 50 on like some of the wording on the website to see how things like convert and these kind of things so a bit of a mix but depends on what you're trying to achieve and who it's for mm -hmm. yeah i guess the earlier stage the more you need to talk to customers and the later stage you can have some integrated systems with a b tests where you mm can show certain pages to one half of, of your customers and the other pages to another half and then see if that affects their behavior basically. Because one of the things that Eric Ries argues is that for a lot of things, like people don't really know what they want. And so what he says is as, as much as you can try and analyze people's behavior and not so much what they say. Uh, so what he says is instead of asking people, do you like this? Or does this make you want to go to the next page or whatever? Just make it into an experiment, you know? Just put them in a situation and see what they do. And if then you can compare two different approaches and see if customers using one approach go through the process, whatever, more like faster or whatever than, than the other. And that should give you uh, way better answers than afterwards asking them, what did you think? And that's, that's one of the things actually that I, I, I still remembered from the first time that I read the book, but there was still quite a lot more that suddenly made, made sense again and, and some, some important takeaways that I got. So to give you an example, so one of the companies I've been working with is using a new regulation to do something innovative. And so what we did was we saw that the regulation was, was coming. So it's like a European regulation. We saw that it was coming and we decided, okay, this, this is going to be big and we can do some crazy stuff with that. And we can basically disrupt um, the in industry using that regulation. Mm -hmm. But we didn't ask ourselves if customers really wanted the solution that that regulation allowed us to build with it. And so that is one of the big struggles that we had initially was that we had built something um, which was innovative from a technical perspective and from a regulatory perspective, but not so much from the customer perspective. And so there, I think if we had kept this book in mind more, we might have, we would probably have approached it better and learned way faster that uh, it, the customer doesn't really care about how you're doing things it just cares what what you're doing and what they can do what would you allow them to do basically so it would have been better to keep that in mind while we were building what we were doing mm, definitely and we went to other things as in mvps and we kind of think about minimal viable products still is like sort of an app or something but like the mvp is definitely an earlier stage so it says like there's two main types of mvp like a video mvp where you literally make a video like a working like functional view of the app like a prototype ux flow and just sort of see how people respond to that and if they're like perhaps willing to pay for it up ahead of time mm -hmm. you kind of think to really test if you've actually built something well if you're going to build something that people want like why would you build it if you can just design it and find out if they want it like sort of you can do that in three days as opposed to like a hundred days and it's way cheaper Valid things or like the concierge MVP, whereby you kind of just give the service, but to like five people instead of like okay, an app that does this this function for millions of people, like it lets them order fish in a new way. Why don't you just 
talk to these people and like build this like new innovative shopping list for them and like do the actual buying and see if like that gives them value in the same mm. way that the app would give them value but just do it yourself mm. and yeah those are the kind of the main ways um i believe yeah yeah i have a friend of mine he has like a a green zero waste store online uh, web store it's called kami basics uh so basically he told me that so whenever someone uh, orders something he he himself as a founder of the company goes to a shop where he knows that they sell it he buys it and then sends it to the sends it to the customer it's an ultra lean approach but that way he can he can actually know that whatever he's doing his service has value and so at the moment he has enough volume at that moment he can start automating process and i think that's that is one of the key learnings that a lot of especially technical founders can learn from this because they want to autom- yeah, like, yeah, they they build automate everything first and they're like well no one's going to really use it until it's working really nicely and, and then you can make nice code and these things and it's like no one ever sees your code yeah exactly so the book really gives a lot of examples of founders who who started you know doing stuff themselves and, and not make even a, a working product like not even write like the first line of code before they've actually had like 20 customers who are willing to pay and they've validated their value proposition basically. And so to go more practically into what the book teaches you. So the whole lean startup process is built around the build measure learn cycle. And so you basically, what you do as a, as a founder, you build an MVP and then that, that's the first step in uh, starting the build, measure, learn cycle. And so basically you build the MVP and building it doesn't necessarily even mean that you make something technical. You can just make sure that you offer the service you intend to provide um, manually, you know, as we said about uh, some, someone doing everything manually, you know, going to the shop and sending it. And then from there on, you try to value, validate two hypotheses because as a startup founder, you have two different hypotheses. One is a value hypothesis. And the second is a growth hypothesis. And these are the two most important hypotheses that as a founder, you need to validate. The value hypothesis is basically, are people like, are you adding value and are people willing to pay for what you're offering? So basically, are you able to to earn money? And then the growth hypothesis is, will you be able to offer this service to enough people or, or your product to enough people so that you're able to grow and you can reach a large enough scale? And so these are very important hypotheses that you need to validate as as soon as you possibly can. And I think the whole idea of the Lean Startup is to really focus on figuring these out. Because once you know that, then you can start spending time um, and effort and energy on building and like the automating whatever you, you, that you're doing, you know? Mm, yeah. Can you give us some specific examples? Because you're the founder of, of the social podcasting app. Could you give us some examples of how you are using the principles in this book? So, like I said, taking on like the Kanban things and I've put in time into my calendar to make sure like one of my main KPIs each week is, okay, how many people have I spoken to? Mm-hmm. Make sure. And so trying to focus on then sort of goes into like innovation accounting and the kind of metrics that you should be focusing on. So you don't want to focus on like vanity metrics, like just the number of registrations because it's not, doesn't always tell you the things you want to see more like the registration rate so if you spoke to like 100 people did you get like 10 percent or like 20 percent like shows you how good the thing was mm-hmm. rather than if you just have like a total number of stuff you just know how many people you spoke to and you want to think more about like okay, how many people register how many people then get activated like what, what's the referral rate not like just the amount of people that got referred mm-hmm. so 
because ultimately you want to get to something where you have like a, a thing called like a net promoter score, which is like the amount of people willing to promote your app. And you want to have that like, like a 1.6. So if every one person says they'll refer two people, you kind of have like a promoter of two or something. And if you have it below one, you basically just don't have like any kind of virality and stuff. And mm. like, is your product, do people talk about it? Do people refer it to others? Like that's a, essentially a measure of how good the thing is. Whereas if you just track like the amount of downloads you've got, you you don't actually know if anyone's using the app, if it's mm. been good. Uh, if, so yeah, trying to focus more on like metrics that will be sane. So some of the um, startups on Techstars have got like a goal to get like a number of downloads by the end of the cohort. Mm. And I'm like, I'd rather have like a number of people referring like a net promoter score, like sort of more benchmark of how good the app is. Cause that's going to mm. see if we've got a good app, but it's not so easy to sell to investors as opposed to like having downloads. But I think the long run, we need to have an app that people will want to download rather than just driving downloads for no reason. Yeah. So focusing a lot more on that. Mm. Cause Eric in, in the lean startup also talks about like companies focusing on, on indeed like something like downloads. And, and so basically they have some targets that they have to reach at by the end of the quarter. And then just before the end, they see that they don't have enough. So they do like a marketing yeah. stunt or something, and then they yeah, exactly. just reach their targets. And that doesn't say a lot, you know, it, it's, it's really yeah, a vanity yeah. metric at that point. Um, and so I like what you're saying about, you know, the, the net promoter score. And also, do you look into how much, how much people keep using the app over time? And, and like, do you uh, do like cohort analysis and stuff? Well, we will. <laughs> I mean, so far people could download it yesterday uh, as okay. far as the uh, iOS version is concerned. I had some issues with Android, so that's going to be, going to be analyzed. <laughs> uh, but I think the, f the first few weeks, we're not expecting people to use it a lot. It's more just like, okay, this is some words. And so my first goal of the next two weeks is basically to get to something where like I can just use full time as my go-to podcast player and then trying to get people to sort of not have any barriers to switching hmm. and then sort of really going into like, okay, how do we make it awesome and like 10 times better than the other ones? So just like the people who are super users, I think we can get to do that, but just to remove the barriers from them being able to. Mm -hmm. And then we can work them with them to sort of really build out the features to make it sort of even better to the point where like they are inviting their friends and they're getting like a lot more value from doing this with other people mm -hmm. uh, is the plan on that. Yeah, because you discussed your net promoter score as being an indicator for how good your app is. But I think yeah. um, the virality of your app and the, the network effect also plays into that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's huge. And I think that's, that is going to be like our main driver of growth. Because mm -hmm. sure. as a social app, it's a bit pointless. As in when someone says, like, I've seen so many new social apps or things, and you just ignore them. Like, mm. I'm never going to download a social app that's just come for me from an advert or something. Like, it has to come from a friend mm. or if not like a group of friends that are using it to get you to actually bother to go join a new social sort mm. of platform and that's sort of what we need we need to like give so much value to some people that their friends will notice that they're not getting the value that their other friends are getting and be like oh i want to be a part of this mm. and that's the only way it really can grow like mm -hmm. any kind of ad spend we make it's just stupid because yeah people don't click on adverts for a social network kind of thing maybe as we if we just say that like it's a podcast player that has like all those other benefits or something but it's it's essentially virality is is how we grow mm -hmm. which is kind of cool if we if we crack it like it could be huge but otherwise like basically we're going to die which is one of the things that came up in our mental meetings uh this week was like this guy who was like you know 
like <laughs> startup is like one in ten die. But it, what you're doing is like the hardest possible startup. Sorry, one in ten survive. Yeah. But yeah, what we're doing is 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 way way worse than that. Mm. It's like five hundred or more people a year try and start some kind of like new innovation on like social networking, and they all die. Basically, mm. one every two years succeeds. Mm. Like and so one in a thousand. But if you're yeah. not big, like you just don't exist. You die. And so yeah, we've got like huge challenges ahead of us and it's really funny that the more we go into this the more we find out about other other people that have tried to build social podcast platforms that have died there's been so bloody many it's like (laughs) oh god (laughs) it's like oh go do this thing it'll be great and then you like go and doing it like why have so many people died doing this should i really be doing this and you're like walking at the matterhorn and just seeing skeletons everywhere on the way i mean like guys it's a bit awkward so uh yeah that was funny but kind of nice because i like a big challenge and I want to change change the world with things. So this is cool. So could be good or it could die, but I'll learn lots in the process, which leads on to the next point around the also sort of pivoting. So there's like three different sort of levels of your company that you should have. So you have like the big vision, which just shouldn't change. That is like, okay, our goal is to sort of connect humans in a better way and create healthy relationships with technology and each other. Okay. That's, that's like our big vision mm-hmm. strategy. So like how we're going to do that, that changes when you have a pivot. So we're saying social podcasting, but maybe we, we have a, a big difference. We're like, okay, actually it needs to be video. Then mm-hmm. we'll make like a pivot or maybe we have to do this for like companies or something. So we have some like major pivots there or sort of like at a, at a smaller level, which is like product, which changes like every time you test mm-hmm. like a little level of like, okay, or maybe this feature is a bit different. And so you're just constantly changing, but it, you have to be ready to do like the bigger changes on, on like the strategy, but mm. the vision should remain, remain the same, but you shouldn't be tied to any of the others really beyond not just giving up too quickly. And so just to clarify for the people who are not into the, the startup world, so a pivot comes from, I think, uh, basketball, where you basically move directions with while keeping one foot steady on the ground. And so the, mm. the term is used in, in startup in the startup world to mean that you make a relatively big change in like your company in general, in your approach, while still keeping some of the basics there, right? So you don't throw away everything that you have and start something new. No, no, you keep what you have and you you adapt slightly to, and do things in a different way. As for example, as you said, you guys are right now focusing on, on podcasting, social podcasting, but it could be that mm. like in five years you've developed and some application where people can chat about Netflix shows or whatever, you know, Yeah, yeah. after Definitely. some major pivots. Mm. So, so one startup was doing social podcasting. It raised like 3 million last year, but then they've pivoted to kind of like the medium model or, mm. or, or like a Netflix or something where basically as a podcast listener, I pay $6 a month and then whatever I listen to, gets divided by six dollars so everyone gets a, a small donation from me depending on who i listen to most so if mm. i listen to only joe rogan he'll get like all my six dollars mm. if i listen to like the wiser than yesterday podcast like it'll get some etc it's kind of like a nice model and so that's what they're doing instead oh, cool exactly so i mean pivots happen i think there's not a lot of companies who are still doing exactly the things that they plan on doing yeah um and that's why the, the theory of the, of the lean startup is so important. You have to validate the hypotheses. And if some of your hypotheses prove wrong, 
And so for example, Sam, if you notice that the value hypothesis that you have is wrong, which means that customers aren't willing to pay for what you're doing, you're going to have to find another way to add value and make sure that that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like doing there's definitely like some value in the problem that we're, we're trying to go after hmm. and it's, but it's also being in the right place at the right time and, and doing it in the right way, which I think we are kind of right place, right time with the whole, like the new Netflix social dilemma documentary coming out and people just getting more realizing the problems that coming from them through social media and how it's sort of not helping their lives and making you mm. more anxious and just pulling it all like these strings on your, on your like mental health and just sort of, yeah, being really bad for you in most ways and wanting like a new way of connecting and being social. And I think, hopefully we can kind of deliver some of that is the goal which sort of people want but then how do they want it exactly is is the confusing part which is why people are kind of making a mess of this so far mm-hmm. yeah but also as in looking at most of the products of other people they haven't been like social as such they've been more like okay you can rate podcasts and you can kind of add comments so you can kind of see what other people have commented but it's not really a social activity whereas we've really focused more on like the experience of like doing it together and like having like an asynchronous way of feeling more connected with your friends which um is kind of my big bet on on changing the world etc mm-hmm. i think that if you can provide enough value i think the the growth factor the virality factor should because what you're doing is inherently like for example once what you're doing is out like we can if ever we start discussing podcasts, it's perfect to do that because it's exactly what we need, right? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. I mean, I would definitely invite you and, and you obviously would invite me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think that at that point, it would make a lot of sense. I mean, me and Hannah, I think uh, for sure we, we try and like, if I listen to an interesting podcast, I always tell her to listen to it and be cool to, mm. to, to listen to it and see where the others at so I can tell her to hurry up because I almost forgot what the podcast was about because it takes so long and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Or being able to have like a few highlights that you can put back so you can actually just catch up on like the two minutes worth mm-hmm. of like bits you really wanted to discuss or something. Mm-hmm. It's going to be nice. So yeah. yeah, it is like like I mentioned earlier about we need to have that virality for it to grow. It, but it is also inherently viral as an app. Like if it is doing what it's supposed to do, as in you kind of need to invite more people. And so it should should make sense. It could be awesome. It could be the one in five, one in a thousand people that makes something that actually like takes off. <laughs> Might not. Yeah, but you have everything going for you, man. So uh, yeah, keep our fingers crossed. All right. So last point I'd like to add, or, or last thing I remember is the five whys. Mm. So it's basically... Whenever something goes wrong, Eric Reese argues that you should ask, you know, that where kids ask like, why is this? Why is that? Why is this? And so he said that you should, you should do that every time whenever something goes wrong in a startup as well to really get to the bottom of it. Uh, Because in the end, everything that happens or that goes wrong, it happens because of a human mistake. And it's usually a human at the top of the management. So one of the founders or the executive team, and that's a very good way to learn and also make sure that the problems don't happen again. Basically, because quite often, like, for example, in, in my startup, we, we had some issues where someone had some, like some developer that we had still had keys of some database on the internet, not, not vital, but suddenly we, we noticed that he still had access. And so instead of just removing his access, we should think about how can we in the future make sure that this doesn't happen again? Because a lot of people, a lot of people will just put, put a bandaid on a wound that's going to go open again anyway, mm. um, and just go to the, the core of things. And that's uh, how the, the five whys works. Cool. All right. 
Very good. That's the most important points for me. Anything you'd like to add specifically? And if not, you can give it a rating and your main takeaways. Good book. Enjoyed reading it again mm -hmm. for the third time. And um, <laughs> being like, yes, it is a really good book. I remember why people like this so much. Uh, this is cool. <laughs> All right. So what is your rating then? Seven, eight. I, I would recommend it to people. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should be saying nine. I've taken things home from it. It was easy to read. I'm going to go with eight. All right. Cool. Yeah, for, for me, it's it's absolutely a must read for everyone in the startup environment or even in the innovation world, you know? So, mm. I mean, I, I didn't enjoy it because it was the second time I read it and it didn't give me that many epiphanies or, or sudden realizations. I think the first time I read it, like, and, and that's why I'm, I'm going to give it a nine because I think it's it's super essential and it changed the way I looked at startups the first time I read it. Now, not so much because I real, still remembered mm. it and so, because it's 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 like so simple, but still like without reading the book, you would never do the same things, I guess. Yeah. And so definitely. it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely a must read. Mm. I think also 10 years ago or so when it came out, it was more valuable now and that like there's mm. just so much talk about it in general you kind of get it and there's so yeah. many companies doing it whereas when they're when they're talking about it like they were sort of the first people that did this and it was a mm. very innovative approach yeah. and it was like whoa why are we being so much silly and wasteful whereas like most dev teams use like an agile cam board and like, like people like expect things to be more lean so it's not such a shocking like amazing book that will change your life as it used to be like, in that totally sense true. And a lot of other business books do sort of use these principles a lot more than before, but it, it was like the book where they started. So in that sense, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to, to see it. And, and one of the key takeaways I have from this is that for me, it's, it's a practical approach of the philosophy of Nassim Taleb, where um, the world is so complex and you should treat basically almost everything that you do that involves any kind of unknowns, which should be anything as an experiment. Yeah. And so, because... I've, I've been working with growth hacking, as they call it. So it's like marketing, growth marketing. And in growth marketing, you use different types of digital marketing to like have, like find the best way of, of marketing your product or your service to customers. And we basically treat every marketing campaign as, a, as an experiment. And we even treated choosing our new logo as, a, as an experiment where we asked feedback from people and, uh, and in that way saw what they liked most. And so I think that for me, this is for me a practical application where it is used in the startup world, but I think in general in your life, it's definitely always useful to do that. Hundred mm, percent. Cool. Cool. All right, then that rounds up the episode. So if you haven't read the book, and this interests you, definitely read it. It's uh, it's highly recommended by anyone in the space. And for our next book, we will be reading the hard thing about hard things, written by Ben Horowitz. So uh, see you then. Cheers. Hey there, Nico here, your second favorite host of the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Um, Sam and I would like to get some feedback from you. So what we're going to do from now on is each episode, we're going to select one random comment from the past weeks, and we will give them a free electronic version of the book that we've just read. So if you like what we are doing, or if you don't like what we're doing, or if you have a comment or a question, just reach out and we might be in touch. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, we are doing this to try and help you get smarter. Well, I have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart. Nico and I learn so much from reading the same things together and discussing them 
and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcast and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app, listen to the same things at the same time, or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favourite bits, and become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus, it also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather antisocial, and I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. But I do love doing things with other people, and having my friends listen to the same things is, is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together, and now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favour and sign up for the Syncify app at syncifyapp.com. And I really hope it helps. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything new, be sure to share it with your friends. And I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes. These really do help quite a lot. If you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read, feel free to reach out to us through the website wiserpod.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And just keep loving and keep learning and ideally keep listening. Big love from Sam and Nico and the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Podcast.